1: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Man, being in Texas too, geez, some Texas turkeys out there. I I could tell you Texas turkey hunting stories forever, because when I first started going out there, there wasn't anybody hunting them. And it was ridiculous how many turkeys it was and I got in my 1963 GMC that I just put a floor shift in and you could see the highway down there and I left Mississippi and I drove, I don't know, all night I got there probably about 4.30 in the morning And, uh, and of course it was dark the whole time I'm driving across Texas this is my first time and anyway, I found the place and everything. And back then, it was like he's telling you directions over the phone. You're writing them down. So now he got a piece of paper. It wasn't no GPS coordinates or nothing. Anyway, I found it and went in. And he said, All right, I'm going to take you to this thing. He said, it's one pasture. He said, now, I'm going to let you out. And he said, you just walk straight west. You'll see the sun is behind you. He said, just keep going west and don't cross any more barbed wire fences. you got that whole pasture. And when he said that, I'm thinking, I ain't much room right there, but anyway, I'm so I'm, I'm, I get out and it's still dark and I'm walking and walking and I'm you know I'm looking at the ground it kind of looks a little bit like the moon to me, but I ain't hearing anything and then the sun starts coming up and I I can't see anything taller than knee high, a lot of grass, a lot of little scrub brush and I'm thinking i would i not been hoodwinked here and I wasn't happy about it because I didn't have two hundred dollars back then and uh, anyway. a a sound started off to my right and it went all the way across me down to my left and it was i can't even tell you it didn't sound like a turkey guy well the first one did anyway i kind of trotted and then down the hill was the 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 big basin down there with all the live oak trees and there's a lake down to the left and all the trees were down there couldn't see them and let me tell you something I've never heard so much turkey to sound in my life. Anyway, I, I killed two turkeys. I don't know how long it took. It wasn't long and I was driving back to Mississippi. I'm telling you, y'all got most of the turkeys and all the water burgers.
2: Hey everyone. Thanks for tuning into this week, man. I I am so excited about the show this week. We have got one of the biggest names in the hunting world on the show today, and I am so honored to have mr ronnie cuz strickland from mossy oak on with us today and um man if you don't know who cuz is you must be living under a rock because um you know cuz has got such a great story and and really helped um kick off the hunting industry back in when all this started going down with the the tv hunting shows and the start with the with uh primos and and moving on to the mossy oak brand with toxi hayes and and all those guys and um there are so many great stories in this podcast i can't wait for you guys to hear them all um it's a great show as always um and uh, many thanks to cuz for being on so got a couple quick announcements um want to announce that we are we are um, having our very first Huge event that we're putting together here at Impact Outdoors Podcast, and it's going to be called the the Hunt Fish Podcast, and that is going to be taking place over in Junction, Texas, at the Double Draw Ranch in my good buddy Gene Hennigan's place. And um, you know, I was really looking for something to do in the podcast world I hadn't seen going on that much with as far as podcasts are concerned, and and uh, had the idea of bringing some different podcasters from across the country together and inviting some really cool guests in to um to kind of share a few days together Um, we're going to be doing some turkey hunting and recording podcasts and making videos and just creating a lot of awesome content but more importantly we're going to be getting to know each other um doing some great networking and can't wait to see what all comes out of this weekend um so be looking for those shows to start popping up here the first of may and um Real quick, we've got um, Paul Fazinski from Aptitude Outdoors, we've got Chester Moore from Higher Calling Wildlife, we've got Turner Roland from the Turner Roland Podcast, and then and, and us here at Impact Outdoors. So, um, can't wait uh, to get that going. The other big announcement I've got is that we are now part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, and I am so honored to be asked to be part of that group of of podcasters and and everybody at the team over at waypoint um really excited about this next step and and uh, growing our show and and being part of those those guys and um um, can't wait to see what comes of that so if you've not looked into waypoint before go to waypointtv.com sign up you can download their app you can download it on any of the smart tvs you get um, and it's just quality content from the shows you know and love hunting and fishing outdoors related stuff and then with the podcast collective as well now growing they've got so much great stuff there and the best thing about it is it's all free so head over to waypointtv.com get signed up and uh, get that app downloaded and start streaming some great content and let us know what you think about it. And, um, but other than that, let's, uh, let's jump right into this week's show with Cuz Strickland. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks. Cuz, like I said, welcome, welcome to Impact Outdoors. Um, thanks for being on. And, um, I really wanted to have you on and, and it worked out perfect. Cause you know, turkey season's right around the corner. I mean, you're looking at a week out, week and a half out for you. And, and, uh, over in Texas, we start up the second half of March. And, um, but, um, you know, I want, I wanted to kind of, you know, the typical thing, you know, hear about your up growing, growing up as a kid and what got you interested, you know, it's always fun talking to people, um, especially people that people have seen on TV and do things, you know, hear about how they really got started you know and and when i think of hunting um and fishing you know i mean there's names that come you know bill dance jimmy houston um, strickland will Toxie. all these guys i mean y'all really you know invented this industry and really helped get it off the ground and and started where it's coming at today so where did that all start for you growing up
1: uh, I grew up in a, in Southwest Mississippi, a little town called Natchez. My, my dad was a lifelong military guy and his passion was fishing. And i tell people all the time. He was, he's still the best fisherman I've ever known that didn't have a boat. Uh, we fished a lot of ponds and did a lot of bank fishing and stuff. And man, he was good at, he didn't hunt a lot. Now. He would take us out to the Homachita National Forest. We called it the game reserve. It's actually Sandy Creek wildlife management area. That's what, that's the only place I hunted till I was well grown. And he would go hunting with us a little bit and he might rabbit hunt some, but my older, I have a brother six years older than me and he, he kind of drifted toward hunting and I was just, I was just fished out by the time I was 12 or 13 or 14. I was just, and I still enjoy it, but. I just stuck to the hunting stuff. Something about that just fascinated me. And, uh, I really, really got into it and did it, just did it as much as I can. And, um, my dad had a, he also, when he retired from the military, he went to work for the newspaper and he had a, he was the sports editor Mm -hmm. and he had a column on Sundays called roving around outdoors. And he wrote a hunting and fishing column. And then later in life, he had issues with his eyesight and stuff. And he asked me, did I want to continue that on? And I did. And, uh, ended up working in a sporting goods store there in Natchez, a local sporting goods store and writing that hunting and fishing column. And, uh, I'm giving you the short version of this, but anyway, the, uh, I was selling all kinds of stuff in there and I was selling Will Primo's turkey calls, which at the time he was making in his house at mm-hmm. night. because They were in the restaurant business. And, uh, the first VHS camera, great old, big VHS camera that came in matches came into Sears and Roebuck and a buddy of mine bought it, the Gary Porter. We called him Mr. Smooth, <laughs> but, uh, we immediately took that camera out and started I started, for some reason, I was just addicted to that. I, I, would rather film the hunt than I had, uh, be the hunter myself. And I would, we figured out if we got two VCR units, we could put the footage in one and a blank tape in the other then plus play and record and record that footage. And I would send that VHS tape to will after three or four months and say, listen, and I was just doing that. So we could hear, we were using his call. <laughs> Check this out. And, uh. Basically, one day he showed up at Rex Sporting Goods with this giant camera he had bought from WLPT or something up there, uh, WLBT, the TV station up there. It was a at the at the time it was the most high tech thing you get. It was huge, and he asked me, he said, "You think you could film one of them turkey hunts with this thing?" And I I said, "Man, I don't know," but anyway, I did a little bit of it part time for him. And the next spring, I went to work for him full-time I kind of figured out how to focus the camera and all that and that's the year we did the truth about spring turkey hunting which turned. and it's it's odd you say that I'm I've got a podcast that's going to air a week from two and that's coming Tuesday where I interviewed Will about that 36 years later nice it's two parts and uh and you know I I kept having to tell Will now look just pretend like I'm not here even though I had a integral part in that but that's kind of where I got my start I was the cameraman or videographer I don't call them cameraman I call them field producers because that's the hardest part of that whole television world is the is that person is lugging that camera and producing it but that's kind of where I got my start I was the, the videographer for the first truth I helped him on the second one and the third one but I was working for him full time and when that first videotape came out there there weren't any Gene and Barry once put out bow hunting October whitetails just weeks before the, I think before the truth came out and that was a deer hunting thing. There wasn't any real turkey hunting videos out there. This was some groundbreaking stuff. I mean, right. You know, it was back then. It it was almost crazy and it was a, a way bigger project than it is nowadays. I mean, Lauren, who you saw up here getting all this stuff hooked mm-hmm. up she had it's on a laptop and some of the videos I can shoot now on my phone at 4k and stuff like that. But back then it was a a, a bulky, heavy, complicated mess. It was crazy. But at the time it was five G LTE, man, what you were looking at is as, as good as it got and, uh, working for Will was, was awesome. He was quite the entrepreneur and visionary, but his, his company, his business was almost three hours North of my house. So uh, I just couldn't keep doing that. I had little girls and uh, I went back to work for the sporting goods store. And then I met Toxie Hayes, the guy that invented Mossy Oak, him and Bill Sugg, who's the president, <coughs> excuse me. And first employee, I they had gone to their first shot show. Hadn't been in business, but months. And they, that shot show was in Houston. And if I, yeah, if I remember right, it wasn't as big then as it is yeah. now. But I had a little 10-foot booth down in the dungeon, I called it, right by a giant <laughs> traffic column or something had it wrapped. My wife actually saw the Mossy Oak, and she came and got me. I was buying sporting goods and a lot of archery stuff for three or four stores. But anyway, I, went I got 30, 40 feet from that Mossy Oak, and I looked at it and went, man, that's, that's going to be – killer in the turkey woods so I went over there and had a great visit and I went back home and I started calling all of my buddies in the I knew all the sporting goods stores within you know 500 miles and telling man you need to get some of this stuff and put you a picture up that shows how good it blends in the woods and Toxie called me one day said dude you're selling way more than we are you got to come to work for us so I did I went to work for Toxie I think in 86 or maybe January of 87 Yeah, and it's been a wild ride.
2: Wow. And what was, um, what was the climate of the hunting world at that time? I mean, you know, from, from a business standpoint, you know, I mean.
1: Well, there, there was, there was no hunting industry at that time. You know, it, it really wasn't. There was, uh, the, the shot show. I don't remember when it started, but that was just basically for sporting goods retailers. Mm-hmm. And uh, when the uh, video started coming, you know, people could bring that stuff into their house and all that. That's when it really started to grow. And it and, and to be honest with you, it happened so fast. It all kind of happened at one time. It's like Will said when I interviewed him for his podcast, He he said the timing was just perfect. He said, you couldn't do what Toxie Hayes did or he did. Now, he said it would be impossible to do that nowadays because uh, with, you know, streaming video and social media and all that, people have come, they've almost become numb to, you know, how hard it is to do that and what reality is and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. So the timing of it was crazy, but you watched all these companies back then grow together and, you know, climbing tree stands and uh, camouflage patterns and calls and optics, you know, it was more and more stuff. A lot uh, when I started hunting, I mean, it was all surplus military gear. That's all I could ever get my hands on. There wasn't any such thing as a Turkey load yeah. or a Turkey, cho- a choke. That's why back in the days in those early videos, you, somebody shot, you, they would immediately run to the Turkey because you probably just shot him with a two and three quarter inch six or seven and a half. And it would basically knock them out. Yeah. I mean, they, they would get a lot of times get up and that's why people ran to the turkeys because, uh, they knew that would happen. NWTF did a whole thing about don't run toward your turkeys, you know, cause it's not safe gun handling and all that, but all those things just kind of evolved. And it was a, it was a timing issue, but it was a, it was a good time to, to see what was going on. And you know everybody worked so hard, it just kind of happened around you. I wish I would have paid more attention to what was going on because it, it got really big really fast.
2: Yeah. Well, um, well, once you got hired on, um, so what was your your first job at Mossy Oak? What what'd you start out there?
1: Oh, I was I was just like everybody else. I was selling. It was Toxie Hayes. <laughs> I'm sorry, I got a bit of a cold.
2: Yeah, me too. <laughs>
1: Tox- Toxie, first meeting I had with Toxie Hayes up here in West Point, Mississippi, and this a true story, his, I went in his little office. It was in the back room, and there was material laying on the ground and stuff, and his desk was a piece of plywood on top of an old window unit, air conditioner unit, mm-hmm. and uh, it was crazy. But anyway, it was him. Bill Sugg was the first employee, and he hired me and Bob Dixon about the same thing. Bob did not with us anymore. God rest his soul. Uh, Bill, Bill Sugg tried to sell in Mississippi. Bob Dixon had Alabama, and I and he he would run over the line into Georgia. And I kind of had everything else, so I would put Mossy Oak samples in the trunk of my car, and I'd do Louisiana and Arkansas. I'd go all over the place, and I can and nobody knew what Mossy Oak was back then. Now that would be an easy job, but back then it's like you got what, and uh, I can remember I would go into these towns and go to a pay phone there's a there's a simple thought for you a pay phone booth right and, uh, people don't see those anymore but they i would know what it is i <laughs> no, don't know what it is and i would get in the phone book and go back to the yellow pages and and get to the sporting goods thing and i would just tear that page out you know that had them so i'd have you know a phone number or something and that's kind of how we started and i can remember like it was yesterday i, I sold in uh I think it was somewhere in Lake Village, Arkansas, some sporting goods store. I sold $600 worth of Mossy Oak. And I was so shocked. I couldn't hardly write the order. And I, as soon as I got out of that store, I stopped at a payphone and I called Toxie and said, you are not going to believe this. I just sold $600 worth. I, You're kidding. <laughs> so it, it, was, uh, it was It it was was kind of born from the ground up. And Toxie and Bill got to where they were just so busy trying to keep that stuff manufactured, it it really took off. It was doing well. And Toxie was the first guy that had those, what I call worst Waldo pictures, where you'd put three or four guys in the woods and take a picture and you couldn't see them and Mm -hmm. man, that caught on. So my first job was uh, selling and he called me in there one day and we were rocking right along. We were doing well or doing better. Anyway, we were keeping the lights on and he gives me this 45 minute spiel about PR and he starts talking about night and Hell and Ben Lee and all this kind of stuff. And he's, he's talking about how they did it. And, you know, they have a PR program that does this and does that. And he just went on and on and on. And at the end he said, you, you got to do this. You're the right guy for it. And I said, Hey dude, I said, I'm in what's PR stand for. I, I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. I didn't go to college. I was too busy <laughs> learning stuff. Anyway, that's what we started, which, you know, he, he was referring to press relations as much more than public relations. But anyway, I, I kind of dug. I dug in I found out they had an outdoor writers convention every year. And the one, the first one I went to was in Marco Island, Florida. And I went down there and set up a little 10 foot table and I, I was a big fan of outdoor writers. My dad was a writer. I mean, he wrote the column and did the sports page and all that. I kind of had a list of who I wanted to see if they were there, you know, some famous people, Judd Cooney and MR James and Dwight Shue and some of these people, Jim Casada. And I did meet a couple of them, but as they would come by the booth, I would ask them, Hey, who, cause I didn't know what I was doing. I saw who's the best PR guy you ever deal with? And this name kept coming up and it was, the name was Mike Finney. And he was the PR guy for Berkeley trialing at the time. And he was there. So I made it a point, I went over to the Berkeley triline booth and introduced myself, and wouldn't you know it, Mike Finney is a big bow hunter, so I immediately invited him to come bow hunting, and he did, and I spent a week with him, and I learned everything I thought I needed to know about the PR business, and And Toxie Hayes will be the first to tell you that Mossy Oak was built on the backs of outdoor riders because there wasn't any internet, and there wasn't any TV at that time, and it was all about getting your stuff in field and stream and outdoor life and sports of field and game and fish. And I knew every writer there was. And I got – I got, I made friends with them. I had relationships with them. It got to the point where they would call me and say, I know Jim Casada. He's, they just made him the new, you know, editor-in-chief of Turkey Call. And I'd call Jim and say, look, man, if you need some help with photos, I got stocks to – and and that's how we built the company. And all of a sudden, Toxie calls me and we have landed Browning as a licensee. Now that's a that's a pretty big deal in our world. As Toxie would tell you, that's what put the second story on the office building. We we landed Browning as a as a licensee, and thirty days later, we're fixing to launch a TV show on TNN. And that that may be before your time.
2: Oh you no. Look a no, little younger, no, 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 right? no, that's what I grew up on Saturdays. Doxy.
1: <clears throat> yeah. Foxy called me in there and said, we're going to launch a major uh, TV show. And I'm thinking, and he, see, I'm the guy that ran the VHS camera. So now I'm a television producer and he tells me what all we're going to do. And he said, by the way, we're going to put it on TNN who so already had uh three or four fishing shows. there wasn't much going on there and hunting yet. You know, the people you named Roland Martin was on there and Jimmy and bill dance and uh they also had nascar and rodeo and country music that was the perfect place
2: it was the perfect channel it was I mean, yeah it had everything you wanted
1: i hate it went away but anyway i said you're gonna have to switch gears again and you'd be the tv guy i'm like yeah okay so luckily i went over to mississippi state which is only 20 minutes from here and they have a broadcast school over there and I found the dean hung around and I asked him I said you got any there's a big class over there a lot of people learn that and Mm -hmm. I said any of those people in there uh, hunt or fish and he pointed one out big boy he said that boy right there loves to hunt and fish his name was Stephen Davis so I waited for him to get out of class and pulled him over to the side and told him what we were doing and all this and basically hired him on the spot so he was the finished editor for tnn and he wasn't even graduated out of college yet but he was one of the smartest guys he's a texas resident now he lives up there north of austin somewhere nice but uh, yeah he's a great he's a great guy but he helped launch all that we bought our own avid edit system because Toxy insisted i said well, we can shoot the video and take it somewhere he said no 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 we got to be in control of that because it's a it's going that's a touchy subject killing animals and all that stuff and i want to be able to control and edit all that which was really smart and even we ordered that avid avid edit studio and it when we got it finally put in and everything in place and tested and up and running it looked like nasa it was so it was crazy how complicated that was back then and uh but anyway we uh we were on time. We edited, he edited 13 shows and it aired on TNN, like in 94, somewhere in there. And, uh, it, it did, it did really well. As a matter of fact, it was coming on Saturday mornings, like you said. And that second year, I think they put us on Sunday nights at seven o'clock and that's when things really went nuts because it was, uh, the hunting the country run was a long one and, uh, the Toxies credit, you know, we, uh, we, you know, we didn't really chase him around on some big epic adventure trying to kill a giant deer. We just kind of told stories and I learned how important that was when TNN went away, you know, they sold out to spike and, you know, yeah. then it, anyway, we ended up on ESPN, which that's, you know, there ain't nothing to sneak <laughs> at, but they, I had to go up there to, I think it's Bristol, Connecticut or somewhere up there to, to have a meeting with all those espn guys because they're i mean they're thinking man he's redneck shooting tv so we got in this meeting and that we were back and forth and, you know i had my ideas and all that, and those people were looking at me going he don't know nothing about tv and at the same time i was looking at them going "They don't know nothing about hunting and we were both correct 100 but sometime during the middle list the head guy three-piece suit Berkeley film school graduate. He kind of slammed his fist down on the table. He said, look, give me a reason to root for the people. He said, when your shows come on, y'all are already doing this. And he said, who is that person? How did you end up there? Why did you pick that? And I started thinking about it. And my dad used to say that kind of stuff all the time. He said, share it, tell your story. And so we were always big on telling stories. And And that guy also made another comment. He said, look. Cuz give this a try. He said, there's two things that will never go out of style in this world, in this business. And he said, one is great cinematography. People love looking at stuff that's pretty. And he said, characters and storytelling, he said, it'll never go out of style. And he's right. I I have a pretty big social media following. And when I started my podcast, I, I threw a, a post out there saying, cause I got a lot of followers that are young guys. I mean, surprisingly young, you know, you can look in them insights and see who's following you yep. and they're like 18 to 32 years old. I'm like, wow. So I thought this post out there and we'll do these podcasts. Who do you want to hear from? What do you want to talk about with well, blah, blah, blah. And I got like 680 something comments and just in a short amount of time and almost six, 580 of them were like stories. They want to hear stories. That's a to me. That's fascinating. And, uh, which tells you people want to be entertained. So mm-hmm. that's kind of a long story of the TV and where, you know, how I've bounced from job to job is it's just wear whatever hat you're needed in that day kind of deal. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, that, that's, that's the whole reason I started my show was I've been so blessed to meet so many people from a vast array of backgrounds and stuff. And, and, uh, my wife was the one who really nudged me about five, six years ago, to start listening to podcasts and, uh, And, uh, you know, just kind of like a little light bulb went off about three years later. I was like, Hmm, you know, maybe that's something that that I should look into, you know? So, um, but, uh, it's been good. And I love hearing stories. Just like you say, that's what people want, you know,
1: they say behind every successful man, there's a woman standing back there rolling her eyes.
2: She's not behind me. She's at work right now, but yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, that yeah. When uh, I was approached about the the podcast, and I'm you know I'm an old school guy, but I you know and I believe in relationships and calling people back, and you know just like you, I got your 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 message kind of out of the blue, and I'm like I don't wonder who that is. Boom, caught you know we I contacted you right back because that's just yep. supposed to roll. But uh, my youngest daughter, she produces our podcast. She also edited about half of the Hunt in the Country shows later. At one point, we had five TV shows running. We did one for Remington Country. We did one for the NRA called American Hunter. We had a show on the Golf Channel for a year called Second Season. But my youngest daughter, Lauren, she's an edit person. She approached me about the podcast and And I'm I'm thinking, what's a podcast? You know, I didn't really know what it was, but anyway, it's, it's working out good. And that's just how, you know, younger people get their information. If you're not delivering something to that phone that you ain't getting viewed. I mean, there may be guys my age watching, you know, television. I'm sure there still are a lot, but I'm telling you, man, if you want to reach somebody that's a, a millennial or younger, you better be, you know, sticking it to that, that iPhone or that iPad.
2: Yeah. I think, you know, the TV, I mean, you alluded to that the TV industry has changed so much now. I mean, varying, not varying away, but just having to change due to the access on mobile devices, you know, to go into streaming media and and social media and all the stuff that entails. And then um, I just had Tom Roland from uh, saltwater experience TV show down in Florida on, and he produces Saw our experience into the blue and uh, Sweetwater TV the fishing shows, and and we we talked about that a lot. You know how much they've had to change their their whole philosophy on putting content out. You know, and it's not once a week now; it's multiple times every day, just All to right. stay engaged with people. And man, I mean, it's just it's it's a lot of work.
1: It is a lot of work. My yeah, uh, I've got four grandkids. My granddaughter it's at the, at the time she was like 11 or something this was four or five years ago and I was kind of get she was at my house and she was on her phone on her phone on her phone and I was kind of getting on to her a little bit you know in a funny kind of way and she said she said pop if you're not on Instagram you're not relevant now she wasn't saying that about me she was just telling me if mm-hmm. and I you know I got to thinking about that night you know and I said you know what I, I'm I'm not going to not be relevant to my grandkids. So I just kind of dug in myself with the help of Lauren and my wife and all that. And I, so I started doing Instagram. I didn't do Facebook for a long time, but I, I liked Instagram because it was just mostly photos and caption. And it's like, I don't post to here. I ain't buying my coffee and all that kind of stuff. I try to do hunting related stuff. Yeah. It's, so, uh, I'd say I, you know, I've, I don't know how much time I spend on that a day, but you're right. It's multiple times a day. Cause people, once you start building a following, they expect to hear from. you. It's just like this Florida trip. I go to every year I've been doing, we've been doing this wounded warrior hunt forever, 15 years. And I started a countdown 30 days out, you know, 29 days left 25 days. And people kind of expect to see that. And to me it's fun and it's free. Yeah, You're right. And some of the, and I'll shoot that for video. I have a, uh, YouTube channel. I post to occasionally called cause four one, one. And I always put that on there if I'm lucky enough to get something, but it's uh, you're right. It it's a full-time job and you better be able to kind of change in mid direction. Cause it's, it's a, it is a new day.
2: Mm-hmm. It is, it is a new day. And, um, <sighs> you know, I know a lot of people in the industry fishing and hunting sides and, and, and it seems like everybody today and there's so many people coming in today because there's so many you know youtubers and people doing their own stuff and and like sponsorships and and things like that i mean that's been such a, a hot topic lately people talking about that and and how how some people just really strive for that and then you look at somebody like the guys from the hunting public you know who who aren't driven by that factor and how successful they've been and um What are your thoughts on, on that, you know, as far as what's going on right now in the industry?
1: Well, it's, it's a different audience out there. And, uh, I've always had what I'd call a pretty good cheese meter and people nowadays can tell real, real quick, you know, if you're, if you're hawking a product or something like that. And I think those days are limited and you see the smart people in the hunting industry, they've kind of taken over their own media like taxi was one of the first ones but look we got to control all that we got to figure out what to do and we kind of do our own social media you know mossy Oak has facebook and instagram all that stuff and uh people aren't going to put up very long with oh uh, man this is my so-and-so if i had been in this tree stand and if i hadn't been shooting that air and all that, i don't do any of that kind of stuff yeah. now there's a place for sponsors because You know, a lot of those sponsors put money back into wildlife conservation and all that, but there's a way to do it and a way not. And uh, I think, you know, I've never boosted a post and I don't try to buy followers and all that. So I've got a really good audience to test stuff on. I was watching a podcast yesterday and I'm not a big NASCAR fan. The reason they stopped, was I forgot what it was, but it was Dale Jr., his podcast. Mm -hmm. He was talking about, he made a post about, a hotel he stayed out on a strip kind of an off the thing and he said he he tweeted about the name of it he just got hammered because people were like oh that's an ad they let you stay there for free they paid you he said man you got to be careful what you throw out there because people will think it's an ad but you know i think just like every everything else the hunting Cooperate, you know, the, all the corporations. They they're going to adjust and do what they got to do. They can do their own social media and not depend on having these uh, influencers, if you will. There's plenty of influencers out there that I'm sure they get. I mean, I, I follow a bunch of them. I follow people on uh, YouTube a lot. I started following YouTube really strong four or five years ago, and it was in that self-reliance category. But I've seen. People jump up through there who started with you know rubbing two sticks together and all that. Now they're driving you know brand new tractors and 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 that that's going to always be with us. And as long as they tell me up front, hey, this video today is sponsored by the Acme Tractor Company, I'm cool with it. Good for you, buddy. They sent you a tractor to use or keep or whatever. But you got to be careful. I think on social media, getting too deep into doing product reviews. Well, that said, the most viewed video on my YouTube page, because 411, it was a turkey vest dump. And I'm pretty sure I didn't name one thing by a brand. I said, this is a slate call, and this is my tube call. And this. Yep. I, I did do the mosquito repellent thing. What do you call those? Uh, thermosail. Yep. I did name the thermosail. Oh, well,
2: the- everybody needs a thermosail. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well yeah, I called a guy in South Florida this morning. I said, how is it down there?" He said, "Hot and muggy. Bring your thermos, sale. I was like, "I cannot wait." So, yeah, it's a uh, it's different and it's all about messaging and how you do it, but i am tell you the people we are talking to today are 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 they just advanced? They've, you know, somebody that's 20 years old or 30 years old, they were raised on technology. Not unlike me, and they're kind of savvy. And so you got to be careful how you approach him, in my
0: opinion. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix.
2: Yeah, I've got a a four-year-old son and a daughter who just turned seven and trying to help my daughter with her homework. I mean, they're teaching the kids completely 180 from the way, you know, I learned it in school and, and, uh, you know, I have to go in and learn it the way they're getting taught before I can help her. Yeah. And, um, it, it's, it's just crazy. Everything's different now. So I tell her, "It's like, yeah, I used to have to use the typewriter growing up when I was in school, write book reports and things. And she's like, you know, what is that? You know, <laughs> it's like, we didn't have cell phones and all that. And, uh, it's crazy to watch people's reactions when, you know, they just think that stuff's been around forever.
1: You know, and I understand that. And I understand how to work with millennials and stuff like that. But, and some of the stuff, and I don't live in the past. Will and I talked about on his podcast, I don't live in the past, but there's some old school stuff. That's really good. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, returning somebody's phone call or having a relationship. You know, one-on-one handshake This and following through. And one of my favorite things I ever saw, and this is getting back to the industry, I was watching. It was before some football game, but it was they they did about a four-minute, five-minute documentary on the the guy who was the the maintenance guy for Lambeau Field in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I can't imagine having to do that, but anyway, they're talking about how pretty that field is all the time, and you can imagine what kind of ground he has anyway he's talking about he did this and did that and he did this but he said i've always lived by the flap method and the the guy was interviewing him. He said flap what is that he said finish like a pro he said so many people are they're great to start stuff and everybody's excited on the front end when it gets down to them final things it may be doing it at 10 o'clock and i said you got to finish Like a pro and that all that's always stuck in my mind that's one place that some people have trouble is like taking it over the finish line
2: yep so well i want to get into something i know you're always excited to talk about and uh and and that's family you know you 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 preach that all the time and i and i love that you know and spending time with your family your girls and your grandkids and and getting them involved in the outdoors which is you know, it, it's something that we try to do so much over here, you know, you know, re- recruitment and that kind of thing, but just, you know, being involved with those kids now and, and spending all that time with them out in the woods and seeing how they're progressing and especially as young as some of them are. I mean, how's that make you feel? That's gotta be great.
1: Hey, yeah, it's pretty unbelievable. I had I had girls and and uh I wanted to I did. I took them hunting a lot. And fishing. I mean, you know, we still got old videos from back in the day. I shot a lot of that stuff with the Primo's camera. I got some homemade fishing trips and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't didn't necessarily want my girls to be these big, you know, starry-eyed hunting, fishing stars. I just, my main goal with that was I wanted to know where food came from because people have lost sight of that. They really do. And now they, you know, they, they they both get it and they both, uh, they married guys who hunt and they, their, their kids are exposed to me and everything. But, you know, I can remember how much time my my mom and dad spent with us. And it was like, that's just kind of, you know, you were exposed to that in your environment when you were little, but, uh, I did girl things a lot. You know, we, of course, my youngest one, she loved to hunt. Amy would go some, but I was, that was a lot of softball and dance recitals and all that kind of, which I loved. I tried not to miss anything. And now I got four grandkids. One of them's a girl. She's headed to college, by the way. But then I've had the, the blessing from God to have them three little boys to do boy things with, which was my specialty, you know? And, and thank goodness, my girls, they were, and, and they got great dads and it's not that they wouldn't have got it anyway, but man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend every waking minute I can with them BB guns, bow and airs fishing. I had two of them on a trap line with me, you know, for, they would come home from school and change clothes and meet me over there at the shop. Let's go run the trap line. And there's not many, you know, 12 and eight year olds or 11 and eight year olds that that can run literally run a trap line and they upset I, I got down to the point where i was just driving them literally they could do everything they needed to do and to me that's a life skill and i don't want to sound old or macho or anything but you know little boys especially at that age they need to learn how to do boy stuff and girls can do both of them that's fine people you know you get in that conversation it's like are boys and girls equal in my eyes they're not they're different girls are very different and precious to me they should be put up on a pedestal you know and people just cringe when you say that and i love them all but they're just different and sometimes in this world they 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 start taking the boy stuff away from the little boys and they wonder why when they grow up they don't have men's values so Anyway, that's kind of my job part time is to make sure the boys are doing boy stuff, and if the girls want to come play, we're all in. We'll get muddy together. But uh, it's just been a gift from God because I'm now I'm, I'm I can I've slowed down enough where I can enjoy that. When my girls were little, you know how it is. Both parents are working, and it's everything's a tornado.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You don't have enough. You, you look back and go, man, I wish I'd have spent more time doing this. Well. Now I can kind of back up and watch it as it's going on. So that's a blessing.
2: Yeah. And and I think this past year has highlighted um, that and, and provided the opportunity for families to spend more time together. I mean, we've seen that tremendously over here, you know, because everybody's been trying to get out and go fishing as a family and stuff. And, um, you know, you, you look at what's happened in the past year with this pandemic and all this crap going on in the world, but, you know, I've been you know it's frustrating because you know it gets you down you think about all the stuff that you can't do anymore for the time being and and but you know you got to look at it and find the light behind some of this stuff and i think that's the that's been the key and um is is seeing people getting out and and spending more time interacting with their kids and stuff and uh, i just hope that continues you know you know if we ever get back to whatever normal was you know before so
1: but yep. I, I had, um, our COVID experience wasn't that bad. Of course we all locked down, but I mean, we're kind of prepared to lock down and, uh, I didn't, you know, those kids out there, uh, my youngest daughter, they have a house on our farm, you know, it's a quarter mile away. So we, we were blessed to have them up there and we just kind of locked the gate and did our own thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and like you said, the good news out of all that stuff was the hunting license sales the spring went crazy. Now, some guys were losing their little honey holes out there on the WMA during turkey season, but uh, look, that's the price. That's just the price you pay. You got to go find another spot, you know? And yeah. cause we're always saying we want to recruit hunters. Well, guess what? We recruited some, I think it was, it was so popular during turkey season because num- number one, the weather was really nice and people that really aren't into hunting or may, may have never been hunting they can they can mentally see themselves killing a turkey and carrying it out of the woods because they've had turkey for Thanksgiving. Now. I can mm-hmm. figure that out. And it's a little harder on whitetails because I've done a lot of stuff with what used to be the QDMA, it's the National Deer Association now, but we, they did a lot of uh, stuff with the public at these uh, field of fork and all that. And you, you get around these people that have never hunted and they sign up for these classes. And I, I attended some of those workshops and that's where they kind of withdraw. That's what was freaking them out. I know I can figure out how to do this. I'm learning. I know about the wind. I got a guy that's going to let me hunt on his place. It's like, but it's like what I do once the deer's dead, that that's kind of freaking them out, you know, yeah. and Turkey's not that big a deal. They can see themselves grabbing a Turkey. So there was, there was a lot of places. I don't know if you fell a uh, follow Dave Owens on YouTube on the mm-hmm. pinhole project, but he, oh, yeah. is, he's a hoot and he talks about that a lot. I did a podcast with him not long ago and he said, yeah, there was a whole bunch more people hunting on public ground than it used to be. So mm-hmm. yeah, we, uh, uh, I think that's, a-
2: we, uh, well, my wife, she, um, she'd never hunted before and, um, she was, she, she went with me a couple times and I was like, I really want you to go turkey hunting with me. And that was after I really started getting into hunting turkeys and uh, and I had called the bird in it took it about an hour and a half to get this bird to commit coming off the neighbor's property and I was like I didn't think he'd come because he had to come through the fence and everything and, and lo and behold we got him in and got the full show and he come in about 10 yards from us and wow. I remember my wife just shaking sitting mm-hmm. her leg was sitting there touching mine and uh i just let him do his thing you know and i wanted her to see it and then we ended up harvesting the bird and the, after we got that bird and got some pictures she kind of looked at me and was like i think i could hunt a turkey
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. and uh, and she and did she got one the next year so
1: i tell i tell people all times the best hunt on the planet you know you you would think you can go with whoever i don't care about that and you get in that situation, and you would think it's a saber-toothed tiger coming in from behind you. They get yeah. so excited. There's absolutely nothing like it, thank God. Uh, and, man, being in Texas, too, geez, man, you talking about how you, you, them Texas turkeys out there, I, I could tell you Texas turkey hunting stories forever, because when I first started going out there, there wasn't anybody hunting them. Mm. And it was ridiculous how many turkeys it was.
2: Yep yeah it's uh especially i hunt a lot in the hill country and so i mean Love we got it. rios everywhere you know and uh, i think one day last year we called and me and my daughter had eight birds come in on us you know and mm-hmm. uh, we're hunting small property, about 500 acres and and um but you know over that weekend we probably seen 30 40 gobblers you know over over the course of that trip and uh and she, she's just eating up with turkey hunting. So I'm hoping she gets her first bird this spring. We'll see what happens, but she's ready. So you got to
1: make sure you got to make sure she does the turkey hunters oath.
2: Yes. I will to call you and have you do on, it. Yeah.
1: Look, I, I did it on my Instagram page yesterday. I did a post. I had four soldiers down in Florida. We were fixing to take never been hunting and they all four did the turkey hunters oath. So you got to go pull that up on Instagram or Facebook and look at it. Yep. but I got to tell you about my I got to tell you about my first trip to Texas. You know, the first guy I ever heard that went out there was Ben Rogers Lee. I don't know if you've heard of Ben Lee, but he was the first superstar in the turkey hunting world mm-hmm. from Coffeeville, Alabama. And I was reading in uh, Field and Stream, I think it was. He was talking, he was getting interviewed, and he said. The guy took him on his ranch and all that. And he said, he got there about lunchtime. So they went out about three or four o'clock and he's going across this barbed wire fence and he pushes the top strand down and it squeaked in the staple and a turkey gobbled at it. And he said he squeaked again and and he so supposedly called that turkey up squeaking in that. And I was, I was thinking about that going, mm. and about a year later, I'm looking at a magazine. I don't remember which one it was, but there was a tiny little two inch ad down there or uh, you could kill two turkeys for $200. It was down here, Sonora or Eldorado, somewhere down there. Mm. And I called the guy, and, and I guess you could technically say I booked a hunt. And uh, he told me when I could get there and all that stuff. And I got in my 1963 GMC that I just put a floor shift in, and you could see the highway down there. And I left Mississippi, and I drove. I don't know all night. I got there probably about four 30 in the morning. And, uh, of course it was dark the whole time I'm driving across Texas. This is my first time. And anyway, I found the place and everything. And back then it was like, he's telling you directions over the phone. You're writing them down. So now he got a piece of paper. Wasn't no GPS coordinates or nothing. Anyway, I found it, went in and he said, I'm going to take you to this thing. He said, it's one pasture. He said, now I'm going to let you out. And he said, you just walk straight west. You'll see the sun is behind you. He said, "Just keep going west and don't cross any more barbed wire fences." You got that whole pasture. And when he said that, I'm thinking, "I ain't much room right there." But anyway, I'm so I'm, I'm, I get out and it's still dark and I'm walking and walking and I'm you know I'm looking at the ground. It kind of looks a little bit like the moon to me, but I ain't hearing anything. And then the sun starts coming up and I I can't see anything taller than knee high, a lot of grass, a lot of little scrub brush. And I'm thinking I'd have, I'd have been hoodwinked here and I wasn't happy about it because I didn't have $200 back then. And uh, anyway, a, tur- a, a sound started off to my right and it went all the way across me down to my left. And it was, I can't even tell you, it didn't sound like a turkey guy. Well, the f- first one did anyway, I, I kind of trotted and then Woo down the hill was the, the, the big basin down there with all the live oak trees and there's a lake down to the left and all the trees were down there. I couldn't see them. And let me tell you something. I've never heard so much turkey to sound in my life. Anyway, I, I killed two turkeys. I don't know how long it took. It wasn't long. And I was driving back to Mississippi and for a long time, I didn't miss a spring coming back to Texas. I had a, a long streak of like 30 springs in a row. I've missed a couple but there, there's no place like it man i'm telling you, y'all got most of the turkeys and all the water burgers
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, the the rios are no doubt um huge numbers here the easterns are, are really making a rebound for us and um through the super stockings from nwtf and parks and wildlife and stuff and uh, that's been um that's been the one um take it i haven't got the punch yet i've been the last four years hunting public over on the border you know along along the some of the the national forest land over there and uh, they're there but uh like you said man I, yeah it's tough
1: it's a different group <laughs> i've always i've always tried to talk to nwtf to get some of them rios and bring in them to mississippi that's what i that's what i dream about but they are not- vocal. <laughs> That's why we did so many events out in Texas. When we had outdoor riders and customers and big buyers, we'd have a camp in Texas because it was so much fun and the success rate was so much higher. And You just can't bring people to Mississippi down around here and, and expect to hear a bunch of turkeys because mm. right now you ain't going to hear a bunch of turkeys. And, uh, man, they're just evil. And, you know, you're dealing with mosquitoes and every kind of poisonous snake in the world and unbelievable humidity and mm-hmm take somebody at the wrong time. And they like, and you actually like this, (laughs) uh, welcome to Mississippi. Yeah.
2: Well, that brings up, um, one other thing I was wanting to touch on was, was the NWTF and, you know, and kind of the, this last year, I mean, it was really a struggle for a lot of people, um, especially in the, in the, in the world of, of raising money in the name of conservation and um and they still found a way to to maintain you know their goals that they set for last year and and um i know with the convention just wrapping up the virtual convention just wrapping up um this week that um you know there's there's a whole new marketing campaign coming out and um, i don't know if you want to touch on any of that stuff that came out of the convention for us or not but
1: sure i'll be glad to I, you know i've been a uh involved with nwtf for a long time no i'm not on their payroll never have been uh just believe in what they do because there's not that many conservation groups out there to protect wildlife and uh you know I, i learned a long time ago when when people are really passionate about hunting and fishing uh man they just they'll go off i was when i took over my dad's column on sundays i wrote an article one sunday about don't Put a dead deer on the hood of your truck and drive through town. Don't go in the liquor store with your camo and your orange. You know, just some. And let me tell you something. I got more hate mail than you can imagine. It's like, you know, you, you stirred that emotion on people. <clears throat> and the NWTF's in the midst now are kind of rebranding themselves, which I personally think is very smart. Dead on is the right thing to do. Cause just like you said in the beginning of this podcast, we're speaking to a new audience. And there's a lot of people that have that old school set in their mind that that logo's terrible or that direction's not going to work and all that. Well, I mean, maybe so, but I've in my experience and I've dealt with a lot of conservation groups, the the, the ones that scream the loudest are probably doing the least. Mm-hmm. And the people that are concentrating hard on helping the wild turkeys. You don't hear much from them, and it's easy to get in a chat room somewhere or on a thread and start bashing what the NWTF's got going on, and uh, that kind of makes me sad because it's, it gets back to that, well, would you say that to me face-to-face? Probably not. That's the bad part of social media because everybody's got an opinion and they want to throw it up there. But before, you know, and I've I've seen some of them and I've got I did a video for them talking about the new logo and the direction and all that. I shot it myself, sent it right to them. Because I did. I, I went through the presentation. I loved it. My my take on it's a little different because number one, I saw the hunting industry evolve from nothing. Then I saw the hunting industry when I've been working in it for a long time. I saw my kids grow up in the hunting industry. Now I'm watching these grandkids and how much, how they get their information. What What's important to them about hunting? It ain't about us anymore. I wish I could explain that to a lot of people face-to-face. But if you want to reach those, I don't even know what the name is for the, you know, the 15 to 20, I, yeah. generation something, <laughs> Z, yeah. whatever it is. You got to change your message. I personally love the logo. To me, it looks like two arrows pointing at a turkey head, which means, hey, we're staying on point. I get all that. I don't think the logo is that important, but I like it. I certainly like that they're spending enough effort to where they realize, hey, we got to take it up a notch. And that's the way I look at it. it is them taking it up a notch. And, uh, again, I'm not on any kind of payroll. I'm not on any kind of board. I'm just a fan of wild turkeys and that's the conservation group. And long as I can, I'm going to pitch in and help them. And I'll promise you Toxie Hayes and Mossy Oak feels the same way. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I strongly strongly urge people if, if they're looking for a group to get involved with is is nwtf i mean we've got our and i know you you've actually met our president of our chapter over here in, in in houston the harris county wildlife group terrence jackson um i don't know if you remember or not but i think y'all and you and brenda valentine end up sell helping sell tickets to the banquet one day over at the bass pro shops when y'all are there or something but um he always talks about that and uh um but uh you know we we do a lot of events throughout the year and and that that uh, not all of them involve turkey hunting you know but it's conservation and getting kids involved and the parents and and providing that message you know of of what the organization's about what it promotes and uh um it's great you know it's a good organization and i sure hope we can get back and go to the convention again next year so
1: (laughs) my guess is we're going to be back in nashville next year I, i certainly hope so but uh, yeah, you know, change is scary. There's so many people there. They know what right now looks like. They don't know what down the road looks like. So it scares them and they get negative and they throw all these comments out. But If you just stop and think about it, uh, they're doing it for the wild Turkey. And I, I read some comments last night and the guys were talking about, man, they're paying all these high salaries and this. Well, number one, nobody's got any idea what anybody makes over there. Number two, nobody works for free. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's, it's crazy. A guy come up to me one time, and I forgot where the show. and said, you need to just give me some of that mossy oak. And I said, why? He said, because I like to hunt. I said, what do you do for a living? I work, I work at the Winn-Dixie. I said, well, why don't you give me about 25 gallons of milk, and we'll make a swap. Well, I can't just give you the milk. People are crazy sometimes of how they think. But if you'll stop and think of what's happened with the NWTF kind of leading the charge, they should have been around. I was born in 1954. They should have been around in 1965, or been around when Tom Kelly hunted in 1952 and went every day and never heard a turkey. And to see what the NWTF has brought this far, I I've, I've, again I've been able to see it and thank God for them.
2: Yep. Yep. And uh, I guarantee you, we wouldn't have easterns in Texas right now if it wasn't for NWTF. So like I said, we just had, we just had a release Tuesday this week. I think they released 60 birds, 60 more birds. And, um, and it's really cool to see and see those birds over the last 10 plus years and how they've spread and reproduced and, um, working with some of the WMAs and, and what they're seeing in their research. So, well, there was one other thing I wanted to talk to you about. And, and um, you recently had Ryan Smith on the show. Um, and, uh, I wanted you to talk about soul the organization and um what that is i think that's really important and i, and I didn't know about that until i heard that podcast and uh, um that was a really good one to listen to and i highly re- recommend people go back and find that one on y'all's fistful of dirt podcast but uh tell us a little bit about that organization and what it what it is and what y'all are trying to accomplish
1: yeah so s-o-l-e is an acronym and it stands for sportsmen organized for law enforcement and uh it's just something we, you know, we, we I got to thinking about, it, and Mossy Oak has done so many things and continues to for wounded veterans. God bless them, wounded or not, any veteran. But, you know, if you start looking around, there's not, there was just not a lot of stuff in place for law enforcement. There's stuff out there for them, but it's all law enforcement based people doing it. And it's like, man, that doesn't make any sense because you, you know, you think the average thinking American would be in favor of law and order. Apparently, that ain't the case. But anyway, uh, we, we got to thinking about it. And uh, I did some research in the areas. There's three, we settled on three groups to help raise money for. One of them is COPS, COPS, and that's concerned of police survivors. And that's if one, uh, a policeman, highway patrolman, whatever gets killed in the line of duty, they step in at that moment start helping and that, that help runs deep. Uh, and there's another group called below 100 and this is a uh, retired and active law enforcement to go to smaller, uh, towns and stuff. And they do safety training. Some of it's high speed driving, some, and they train local officers who may not have had the opportunity to do that. They do this on their own. And the other one's called uh, spirit of blue. And the Spirit of Blue Foundation actually buys equipment. And the number one request they get is tourniquets. I, I was so dumbfounded when I heard that. I was like, "Is they, it's like they work in a war zone. You thought it would have been body armor or something. But anyway, those three groups right there represent everything we were trying to do. So all the money that we've raised goes to one of those three. And Soul could kind of get out there in the hunting world and say, look, we've done everything else. We, 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 we we're responsible for the Pittman Robertson act. We've done all this money. The hunting and fishing public are the best. Let's get behind law enforcement and show them that we care. And, uh, and we've raised some money, you know, at the Fox hole shootout, we couldn't have it this year, but the year before that, uh, we, we raised a lot of money and we, we were, uh, sold a check for, I don't remember what it was, 30 thousand dollars that they were in. That doesn't sound like a ton of money, but it's, to me, it's almost more the message. We're sending to law enforcement. You know what? We're here for you. We care about you. But now we've got, a uh, we, instead of doing it in-house, which none of us had time to do, we've got Ryan Smith doing it, who is a living, breathing angel and former law enforcement guy and one of the smartest people I've been around. He also runs uh, the Spirit of Blue, but he's helping. We have a 501c3 in place, uh, and we're just now, in the last few weeks, started addressing. We've got some uh, industry people we're, we're calling saying, hey, look, just for $500, you can be a, a a running sponsor of this. We're not asking you to refinance your whole company. Mm-hmm. And uh, those those little donations will go a long way, but. Uh, and I hate to keep posting it out there on my social media, but because I think people, oh, he's just trying to get money. Well, again, it's more about the message. And I found out early on when I would put a post out there about soul, I'd get so much reaction from law enforcement. Hey, I'm a cop in wherever, in Nebraska, or I'm a however troll in Illinois. And I'll and tell them, God bless you for what you're doing. But I said, I don't want your money. I want to get everybody else's money to help what y'all have to deal with every day. Cause they do deal with a lot. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, God absolutely. bless you for letting me talk. Sometimes, sometimes you just can't talk about things and you shake your head and go, why would not, why would not everybody want to hear about how to help them? Mm-hmm. So, but you're a Texas guy, Texas is a little different, you know, God bless Texas. You know, well, people out there are normal.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I have a huge, um, heart for law enforcement and, and, uh, grew, growing up. That's, you know, I wanted to be a police officer growing up. I was in a, a program called the police explorers growing up when I was back in Oklahoma and um, wanted to be a game warden and then, uh, end up becoming a, a fisheries biologist by trade and, um, but still support everything they do. And I've got lots of friends in law enforcement and, uh, um, you know, that, that podcast really hit me. I, I love that show. And, um, did a lot of research into it after, after listening to it. So thanks for talking about it. So, but, um, well, um, I know we've been on here about an hour, but, uh, um, you know, and, uh, is there, I don't know, is there anything else you got coming down the pipeline this year? That's, uh, going to be new or, or, um, what's kind of your plans for, for the rest of the next few months? So you know, turkey hunting. <laughs> man, turkey
1: about as far, <laughs> that's about as far out as i want to look right now I, I i got some stuff i <clears throat> promised people last spring you know we did a lot of fun i'll do a lot of fundraising stuff went to hunt with cuz or wherever mm-hmm. and sometimes i over extend myself but i still got four or five of those to deliver from last year because we had to cancel because of covid so i got a lot of that and uh you know, I still got three grandsons who want to go, and uh, uh, turkey season's about as far as I want to move on out there. But you know, the podcast, as you well know, it'll, it'll keep you really busy. We roll one out every Tuesday, and that's a ton of work on Lauren. She's a she's a QC nut. She likes everything to sound like you're in a padded room, you know, on top of a cloud at thirty thousand feet. She don't want to have any. So, but it's fun and I've learned that that's a good vehicle to get messages out and, and if I'm going to do anything different on my upcoming podcast, I'm going to probably tell more stories and get people in that are good at storytelling and, and try to keep young people entertained. So yeah, if I can get through Turkey season, I'll, uh, I'll worry about down the road when I get to the end of that road.
2: <laughs> well, I, I just want to thank you for, for coming on man, a uh, true legend in the industry and, you know, and, and a lot of people look up to you. So just thank you for everything you've done. I mean, you've made a tremendous impact on a lot of people and, uh, and can't wait to see what comes the rest of this year. So,
1: but, uh, well, Derek, you're, you're awful kind to say that and, and see now it's people like you who tote the mail it's you and Aaron Warbritton, those guys, y'all, y'all are now the tip of the spear. And, and the fact that you would even ask, you know, some of the older guys come on, tell me where your head and your heart's at. So that, I, you know, I, deep down, I do, I feel like, you know, if, if there is a time to pass the torch, we're leaving it in good hands. I feel like it, I, I got a lot of faith in that really young generation, that 15 to 25. I really do. I think some of those people are dialed in and they realize that some of the old people have not done the best job, but, uh I appreciate people like you and the, the hunting public and the hunting guys. Of course, they're all trying to make a living and all that. But man, that that stuff's uh, important. It's very entertaining. That's why I, I say I, I never say no. I did that blood org thing, and he said, "You know, uh, you're very giving of your time." And I said, "Well, that's that's the one thing I got I can give away. And you know, if it helps, well, so be it." See, I. We got to talk about soul so that was that that made the whole podcast worth my time so thank you
2: yep yep and uh and um but um yeah well let's uh hopefully do this again and um, look forward to, to seeing you at least at convention next year so all right thanks for being on
0: In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos, speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasin' the Sun, every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.